Hey there, welcome to Groundbreakers, a bi-weekly podcast that explores transformations in where, how, and why we work, and the intersection of DEIB within our workplaces and spaces. I'm your host, Shelley Wright, Chief Diversity Officer at Unispace. With each episode of Groundbreakers, I'll be talking to fascinating people, all of them groundbreakers in their industries. We won't have all of the answers, but we'll have some provocative and pretty entertaining conversations. We're going to have a lot of fun. We have an exciting show for y'all today. We'll be talking to Elizabeth Tweedale. She's the founder and CEO of Cypher Coders. I am truly looking forward to this conversation. Welcome to Groundbreakers, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. I'm honored to be here. Uh, The honor is mine. I am excited. I'm on the edge of my seat. I I actually wish we could have a conversation for three hours, but knowing that we've (laughs) got to keep it tighter than that, um, let's dive right in. Um, Let me give our listeners a little bit of background on you, Elizabeth. Elizabeth is the CEO and founder of Cypher Coders, the UK's leading coding school for children, as well as an AI creator, author, and entrepreneur. With a mission to empower children to move confidently through the ever-changing world of tech, Elizabeth is helping kids build fluency in the universal language of code so that they are future-ready. Elizabeth is also the co-founder of an AI company called GoSpace, where she writes and patents the algorithms for its AI engine that deals with spatial adjacencies in the workplace and the future of sustainable workplaces. Elizabeth has also been awarded the Great British Pivot Entrepreneur of the Year in 2021, along with many other distinctions in the past few years. Um, Elizabeth, are you real? <laughs> well, when you when you say all of those things before <laughs> before you introduce me, it makes me feel not real. But yes, I'm <laughs> I'm here. I'm real. <laughs> You ha- come on, you have to be a little bit impressed with yourself, if not a lot, yeah? <laughs> no, I think it's just, you know, I I keep going and keep trying and doing a lot of different things. And then after a while, you start to age and then you've actually accumulated all these things you've done. And so I think that's where I'm starting to to get to in my life, really. That's that's fabulous. And to be, be good with celebrating yourself and letting others celebrate you. Congratulations on the, that Pivot Award. So uh, so I, I want to confess something to you, Elizabeth. I, I, as I did my deep dive into the World Wide Web to learn more, <laughs> even more about you uh, in preparation of our conversation, um, and seeing that the lion's share of your work is computer-related, technology-related, cipher coders, you know, the fun and engaging coding classes for children 6 to 12. I saw somewhere else 5, five and above. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I have to tell you, I had a kind of a Pavlovian response to reading about your work. Um, it scares me. Um, I am... I am when when flipping through your work, I I had that response because um, I had to kind of put my finger on it. I, I'm 51 years old, um, and when computers started to kind of be talked about in in school, and I remember when my school back in Kansas got our first computer, hmm. um, we uh, they had a sign up for the first computer class in Wellsville High School, and I signed up. And when I got to class on the first day, the teacher of the class said, uh, approached me and said, you need to go get another, you know, uh, opt out of this class and go take something else. And I oh, said, no. why? And he said, this is for boys. Girls what? don't do computers. Oh, my God. How, how damaging is that? <laughs> it, I, well, it stayed with me and it really affected how I feel about my and, – and by the way, I was the only girl in my um, – advanced algebra class. Yep. I was often the only girl. I was, you know, very, I excelled in, in science and math. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I should have stood my ground and said, hey, I I feel like I, I can be here. My family had an, uh, a um, Texas Instruments computer yeah. and I'd been like messing around with, I didn't know it was, I, maybe, I don't know what it was, but I was just putting in different symbols and letters and numbers and seeing what the screen would do. And it fascinated me. Yeah. And I wanted to learn how to do it, which was why I signed up for that class. And and he and it was indeed, you know, like 11 boys and me. And he said, you know, girls don't do computers. This is it. He didn't say girls aren't allowed. He said, but girls don't really do computers. Oh, that's so, just devastating. I mean, well, I, I wanted to kind of come out to you 
as yeah. a person. You know, I need to come out of the closet in many ways every day of my life as an openly gay woman. But I needed to come. I needed to let you know that I um, this whole it this is triggering because and I and I I'll bet you know I'm I'm sure that's exactly why your work is so important to give access and embolden you know not just all kids but girls especially. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had a a similar experience to you in university. Um, I wanted to be an architect. So I thought, well, I could either, you know, go straight into architecture school as an undergrad, or I could go and do my undergrad and then do my master's in architecture, which is what I did because I thought, who wants to be stuck in architecture for seven and a half years? (laughs) Right. You know, we all know. And so I went into school and I thought, okay, well, to be an architect, I could choose math and art for my majors. And that would be perfect because then when I apply to architecture school, I have the two sides. So one of the first intro classes in um, your math major is computer science 101. So because it's part of the math major and and, um, some of the other STEM subjects in university, that class was about 50-50 boys and girls because it's an intro class. So I was like, oh, great. You know, I'm not the only one here. And I absolutely fell in love with it. I remember our first project that we had to submit. You know, this was back in the day when you write your code and it has to compile and then you have to print it out on paper and turn in the paper copy of your code. I mean, it makes no logical sense, but because the the professor would know that it had to compile before you can turn it in sort of this what kind of What does that mean, compile? I, uh, I don't that know your that program means. would have to run, like you couldn't just turn in you couldn't turn in an essay without a conclusion, for example. So whatever you uh, okay. turned in as your homework had to work in the computer f- for whatever the, the assignment was. And I remember... That, that, um, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Of course. This is good. I feel, I feel um, safe. I feel safe with you. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's, it, that, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> but um, we turned in our papers and he stacked them all up in a pile And then he started counting people's papers and putting them into different piles. And he took my paper and I had done the same program. It was like an inventory program. I thought of it as like categorizing my wardrobe at home. And that's what got me really engaged. And he said, Elizabeth gets an A, everybody else go and do your work again. Because I had, all of us had solved the problem, but I had just done it in the most succinct way with the least amount of code. I mean, he had never put that forward as the challenge. But it was just like this aha moment. We've all solved the same problem. But it's not like math where you have to do your algebraic equation in that very specific way or it is wrong. It was just this like excitement of goosebumps. And I was like, this is for me. I am such a good problem solver, puzzler. Uh, I was a gamer. I I have to switch to computer science. And so after that class, I, I switched. And so then... You know, the next the next year or the next term, goodbye all all girls, goodbye all females. No, me and really. the boys. Yeah. <laughs> so I how mean, many, how many boys in the in the class and 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 just you? Um, so ratio? we probably had about you know between ten and twenty, depending on on the class. Uh, but I was usually the only female. So of course I was president of the computer science club because when I ran for presidency, who was going to run against the only girl in the club? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so um, I, I had the very same experience. And that is one of the things that, you know, makes me so passionate about creating a new curriculum that engages a broader range of children. And yeah. I'm so proud to say that at Cypher, 52% of our students are females, um, which is Incredible. just so exciting to see. And I think it's not that we choose topics that are girly. It's just mm-hmm. a different way mm-hmm. of applying things that children are actually interested in and yeah. linking that to technology. So it's not just that tiny little population of gamer, geeky boys, which was also yeah. me as a child, just not the boy yeah. part, yeah. but hanging out with my yeah. brother gaming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the rest of the, rest of the world, uh, the rest of the children that are interested, because it is something that you know, everyone in the next generation will need as a base foundation for their careers and for their their daily lives the same way, you know, we can balance a checkbook without understanding simple math. (laughs) Um, Right, right. 
That is incredible. So you you had your aha. Mo- I was going to ask you later later um, in this interrogation what your <laughs> aha moment is, and you you've you've shared that with us. Um, and it leads me to ask the kind of wonder. You talk about being you know around your brother, and both of you all were gamers. What did your folks do? Um, well, my mom's in medicine, uh, so we had a lot of doctors speak at the the table regularly. Um, yeah. And my dad is in IT and computers, so he was sort of building computers and that kind of thing. So whenever yeah. we went over to my dad's house, oftentimes on the weekend, we might go into work with him and meddle around with hard drives and things. And And it's quite fascinating because I'm not that interested in computers and hardware. But there's a whole other side of coding and um, computer yeah. science that is the actual software and that's the algorithms. Yeah. And so yeah. I think we oftentimes, you know, as a society think, oh, that's a coder. That's somebody, you know, that goes and builds the computer and then programs it and works in a black room with a black screen and green letters coming down. That's yeah. not the case at all. I mean, my my <laughs> class in university, flashing back to that all the boys and Elizabeth, uh, there's a, a computer architecture class where you have to build a computer. And I remember coming in and it was always at like 9 a.m. on a Friday or something. So it was very difficult to get yeah. there. Right. I'd come in and my hair would be, you know, my blonde hair is sort of everywhere. And it was like this fear look every time I would get there, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes late. And they'd be like, Elizabeth, stop. Don't come any closer because I had static electricity and I hadn't tied my oh. hair back. And I'm like, oh, really? This oh is so ridiculous. That <laughs> is so funny. That is crazy. I mean, you do you break so many stereotypes um, <laughs> and and that you're I'm imagining your big, you know, uh, s- static electricity hair, like like <laughs> short circuiting something r- rather important. Yeah. Um, I um, I want to ask you about the art piece though. So mm. you have an art of kind of, you have a love of art and you're artistically inclined as well. Mm. And the intersection of, you know, your, your math and science and com- computer thing. Um, did you always know that that piece of you could fit in to, uh, to the rest of this stuff? Um, I think so. I mean, I think above everything, I was a, a born entrepreneur, but, um, I always tended towards art and creativity. So my grandfather um, used to collect art. And so we'd take uh, my mom and I on trips and things. And we would go to art museums and like art galleries to buy artwork. And I am sorry, but if you're like a six and seven year old girl by yourself without your siblings there sitting in an art gallery for the whole right, day. Right. It's so boring. But it starts to sink in, right? And so yeah. I had this appreciation for art and the techniques behind it. So I don't think I was naturally an artist, but it was always something I appreciated so much that I I tried really hard at it. Um, yeah. And I think that that's where it came from. But you speak about creativity and that whole art thing being a sort of juxtaposition against you know the architecture side or the math side. And I think that that's what's the most fascinating thing about architecture and about architecture school, which really influenced me as to how we could teach, a new, you know, computer science in a new way, is that going to architecture school as a, as a graduate student and not straight in from undergraduate, yeah. people came into, the, into doing their master's from all different sides. So some of them were totally creative. Some yeah, of them yeah. had not a single creative bone in their body. I mean, we're right, like right. previously going to be like lawyers, so they're English majors. Yeah, yeah. And other ones were very technical, but, you know, not creative. The artists didn't know how to do math, but it had this very beautiful way of teaching those methodical people how to be artistic and how mm. to be creative. Mm-hmm. And similarly, had a way of almost um, applying logic to the creativity that the artist type people had inherent to them and showing them how that could bridge the gap to the more math side or or structures, things like that. So this is a point in my education where I thought, wow, this is a very fascinating way to engage sort of both sides of the brain into at least appreciating and understanding the other side of the brain if you're one way inclined or the other. So that was something that really stuck with me on that creativity 
piece that you're talking you're, about that I you're, you're making light bulbs go off over my head. Um, and you're, <laughs> you're again, you're 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 a great teacher. We we know that. Um, and you're teaching me today because what you're saying is the right brain, left brain stuff isn't mutually exclusive um, and that that the what you know, the way you studied, it kind of created a portal, um, you know, there's a reciprocity in the in the way that the brain thinks about these things. And when I brought up the art, I was thinking about, you know, um, reading about your um, uh, what you what you teach and what you've learned certainly about spatial kind of um, awareness and adjacency. Like art is actually good art, I guess. I'm not an art aficionado, but I know enough to know that um, composition matters and balance matters, and you know how it makes you feel. All of yeah. that which seems artistic there i'm not saying that there are formulas but there are certainly kind of best practices and norms that have a lot to do with numbers yeah and and i'm a musician and although it's you know that's very just kind of like creative um there is a huge component of math to it too so so i guess i i'm i'm i'm, I'm loving learning this absolutely it definitely sort of tran- transcribes over both both pieces for sure. Yeah. So you mentioned you mentioned that you're um, at the at the very heart of who you are is an entrepreneur. Um, so I I need to know what was your first job and what did you do with your first paycheck? Well, um, my first job was actually probably my first company, which was a friendship bracelet making company. So <laughs> love it. Love in it. In about second grade, so sort of same age as your boys. Um I thought, oh, this is all the rage. Everyone likes friendship bracelets. I'm really good at making them. You'd think, oh, I'll just make the friendship bracelets. So I did that for, you know, a couple of days, you know, how you're you're nine, eight, whatever you are. Right, right, right. And then I'm like, oh, this is a lot of work. So I'm like, okay, actually I'm just gonna take all my string to school and I'm going to teach people how to make their own friendship bracelets. So I took my string to school. They could pick the colors that they like. Then I taught them how to make the bracelets. They would make their own bracelet and then they would pay me for it. You know, sometimes it was in like candy or something like that. (laughs) Okay. So wait, wait, wait. So you got your fellow classmates to pay you to make, to make their own bracelets? Yes. It was genius. I've been working on a business plan as good as that ever since. I'm haven't quite nailed it yet, but you know, there's still time. <laughs> that you, well, number one, you could have been a cult leader. I just I didn't. <laughs> number two, I see like you probably recognized I can't scale this myself. Exactly. Like you, my, okay. my hands will only go so fast, and when you make That's all right. the bracelets, the fingers start to get calluses. I mean, it was big problems. Amazing. <laughs> um, in 2021, you spoke with just entrepreneurs, women in tech, about your career, and you said this. I'm very much motivated by my experiences of not being acknowledged for being equal. So I made it my mission to create Cypher, to challenge the perception of coding. Um, A lot has happened since 2021. Is there anything that you would add to that or anything that has changed about that? Um, I don't think so. I think it's still sort of that that mission that I'm on. And, you know, it comes from my experiences that particular quote was um, based around raising investment and, um, you know, how you're treated as a a female um, in that kind of investment space. Um, But I think what was that like? What was what was that like? The capital raise? Well, well, the first time I experienced it was with GoSpace. And so it was really uh, my husband and I started that together. So he was the CEO and I was the CTO. And so had done all of the kind of algorithms and things together. Um, And we went for investment. So he was leading the discussions with, you know, um, private, you know, family offices, things like this. And so he would bring me in in about the second or third conversation. I would come in and granted, I, I, you know, in my early years of having children, I looked younger than I was and they've definitely aged me. So when I was about 24, I probably did look like I was 18. I don't know. But so I would go in and I would literally get laughed at. Oh my God. And they'd be like, well, this is just like that TV show. I think it was Silicon Valley or something where there was like a a female techie person. And they're like, she's your assistant, isn't she? She's, She's not the one that's like, doing the coding or anything because I'm not I'm not really sure about that plus the fact that we were husband and wife which is also a big red flag and 
So it just, yeah, yeah. After the first couple of meetings, Bruce is like, well, maybe you should just put your hair up and maybe wear your glasses and you'll look more techie. So I did it. Wow. But after that, I was like, I am never doing that again. And so, you know, after that, I kind of that just is- changed my mindset. And and then the first time I was raising investment for Cypher, again, coming back to that, what's your worst case scenario? Yeah. I thought, okay, why am I raising investment? And how can I be sure that these people, these are my, you know, your first raise is oftentimes your friends and family, that my friends and family yeah. money is safe with me. And, and I thought, well, okay, my worst case scenario is I already have parents, you know, signing up for these camps and clubs. And yeah, my worst case scenario is I take the money, we don't scale, but we actually just say, okay, it's not going to work. We sit there and we just make the money back. Right. Because right, I knew yeah, it yeah. was already making money. So I was lucky because I wasn't in, you know, a, a deep tech sort of, um, yeah. raising it, a scenario. So that gave me a lot of confidence because I knew, I could raise money because I could also protect the money. And I think yeah, just getting over that hurdle, raising mm-hmm. investment on my own was a big, a big step for me. Um, but I think it, it was, it was that first sort of situation with the the laughing in the, in laugh. the investment room. You, you recall, um, was there a specific thing that you said that they, that caused them to laugh? Do you recall that? Or oh, was no. it just I said general- nothing. It was just what I looked like. And that I was female, oh. and that I was blonde, and that I was the the one that was sitting there coding. I mean, it was definitely Bruce and my idea about the algorithms together. You know, he's yeah. brilliant, and it was how we were partitioning. But I was the one typing away, and they were like, "Yeah, that wow." Ha, um, right. Can you tell me a little bit about their demographic? The the guys <laughs> that I'm assuming it was the guys who laughed. Fifty plus white male. Yeah. Do you know where those Banker. guys are? <laughs> you know, um, and I yeah. think it's it's interesting because the investment kind of space has started to swing the opposite way for better or for worse because of all of the um, insights around the lack of female investments. Um, yeah. And so now some of the conversations I'm having are quite interesting. I think investors are understanding the value of a female founded business because we address risk differently than men do and we need to be proud that we actually do address risk differently than than men do that which is why statistically female founded businesses um you know last proportionately better than than male founded yeah. businesses uh but because of the swing and you know this is oftentimes how the pendulum sort of works i have found quite a few people taking my investment meetings just so that they can tick the box that yes, we've spoken to they a did. female founded business. I'm I'm sitting on the other side of the Zoom call and I'm saying, you're not actually listening to what I'm saying. I'm just ticking yeah. a box for you. But you yeah. know, at the same time, at least I can get the meetings now because yeah. this, you know, problem around female, you know, the lack of female um in, investment into female founded businesses. So yeah. I do I do feel fortunate for that. Um, but it, it's yeah, still a no, long way to go, I think. Yeah. I mean, um, that companies are feeling like, you know, tick bo- box ticking is, you know, people talk ab- about it a lot and they, um, you know, they, we all know that it's, um, there's some performative stuff out there that's happening, but, but it doesn't exclude a company from the responsibility of doing that work. So whether or not it's performative, you got in the room and you had a chance to kind of pitch to them. So, you know, they probably dismissed it and they're like, how long is this going to take? You know, 20 minutes. And <laughs> and then they're like, oh, she's really amazing. What they're doing is amazing. <laughs> so how this, but can we go back to the women assessing risk? And one of my questions I wanted to ask you is, um, are girls and women, is it, would you agree that girls and women are better problem solvers more innovative and and I don't want to you know leave all all other types of diverse people and communities out of this but um can you speak a little bit about your understanding especially when it comes to code the mm-hmm. the young girl students that you've seen um do they do anything much more superiorly than uh their you know kind of boy counterparts mm-hmm. yes absolutely i mean this is one of my my favorite 
topics because I find it so fascinating that, you know, in this day and age, we oftentimes talk about being equal, which of course we should be, but I think we need to really embrace the fact that men and women are naturally different, but we bring different things to the table that mean we can create better things together. So one of my very uh, first coding projects was uh, essentially create your own Space Invaders game. And Ooh. my first class was uh, six boys. And these were the, the type of boys that would become computer scientists, whether you help them or not. And so, you know, they they followed the lesson. They made the Space Invaders game. They finished with about 15 minutes left left in the class. And then they were all competing, like, who has the best score? Who's the best one? Who right. finished first? Yeah. Mine's, mine's better than yours, et cetera. And then my next um, class was a, gla- a class of 20 girls. And they had the same exact project, Space Invaders, but probably, you know, only three quarters or so finished the game in, in the allotted time. And I... Mm. I sort of sat back and thought, what's going on here? Yeah. But if you went around and spoke to the girls, they weren't just following the lesson plan to complete the game as quickly as possible and then compete against their neighbor. They were thinking about why the lesson plan was like this. So they had little aliens on the bottom instead of a rocket ship. And instead of bullets coming down, they had donuts coming down. And if the alien caught the donut it would get a little bit fatter (laughs) I mean like a whole other set of like interesting phenomenons happening there but they were thinking about why they were creating a game and what's the story around it and you know thinking about what the characters looked like and choosing those things very meticulously so I think it's you know the fact that you have inherent tendencies in boys that are very competitive, uh, you know, very fast sort of single track mind is very valuable, even in business, you know, for certain things. But thinking more holistically about a problem and that kind of lateral thinking that I'm sure we can Mm -hmm. all think of, you know, our mothers juggling dinner and laundry and this and that at the same time, you know, you have that picture of the (laughs) juggling, um, you know, you know, woman in your life. That's like this inherent tendency in a lot of females that I just think is so amazing and lends itself very much so to computer science. Computer science was invented by a female, Ada Lovelace, who was watching her husband with this computer. And she's like, okay, we could do a lot more than just a few simple math problems here, guys. So let's, let's think outside the box. And it's the female brain that's, you know, connecting different pieces together and there's still value in getting the you know that male sort of competition with the okay but Mm -hmm. have you thought about this have you thought about that and so I guess for me I am a huge proponent of uh you know men and women working together which is why when I founded Cypher I thought should I do this to encourage only girls into coding because it's, you know, such a huge problem. We bring so much to the industry that's lacking at the moment. But I thought it's even more important that you get the boys seeing what the girls are doing. And the boys also bring a little bit of that competition to the girls that they might not naturally have otherwise. So by getting them to work together, it's going to make us stronger in, in the future and in the long run. I, I love that. And I have to say, when I was studying you, um, I really, you know, did my first, Caroline, our producer of our show, she and I began kind of clicking into your, you know, all of your work and your podcasts and your your thousand, thousand books that you've written. And <laughs> I really thought I was going to be clicking into a curriculum for girls. I think I just had that in my head, that that's what you do. And I was joyous to learn that you are focusing on boys and girls, mm-hmm. um, you know, as as a mom who's raising identical twin boys who are nine, yeah. um, who you know, when they started going to um, to school, they began coming home from school and saying, "Boys rule, girls drool," <laughs> and and these boys have two moms, and I I mean, I'm, the hair on my neck stood up, and I was like, 
And you're Where like, you and girls are from Mars or is it men are from Mars? What is it? Right. And you're like, really? That's still around? <laughs> it, it is still. It, I, it, I, it surprised me how quickly these, um, you know, these kind of uh, tropes and notions mm-hmm. about girls and, um, and, and, and I just am overjoyed that you're working to teach both and, and sh- boys seeing girls thrive. Incredible. That's incredible. The diversity, the intersection of different ways of thinking, whether it's boys who think differently, um, because mm-hmm. as you were talking about those kind of some of those what we believe to be kind of natural inclinations that boys have, you know, more competitive. I also know that there are some boys who are not wired that way. And yeah. how do we hold space for them? And how do we hold space for, you know, a little? I was a little tomboy, a little closeted yeah. lesbian who... <laughs> I, ha- I have to tell you, the intersection of my closetedness is why I didn't push back to the teacher who they said, girls don't- Are not allowed do here. Because <laughs> I didn't want to, I th- was, didn't understand my sexuality and I didn't mm-hmm. want to reveal something about myself. Yeah. And so you thought, oh, maybe, maybe it'll be obvious maybe if I'm know. here. And maybe they'll know yeah. because maybe and I am the equivalent maybe. of a boy in the in this girl's I'm- body and- and so you yeah. just sort of, yeah, because I didn't know because this away. was nineteen. This was nineteen eighty four. I mean, uh, I thought you were going to say eighteen ninety four. I'm like, really? You're really not. <laughs> <laughs> you're not that old. Um, no, but really, we have to to really think about providing access and opportunity to, you know, little queer kids and black and brown kids. We have to, you know, obviously, we know that there are some, you know, um, we think boys do this, we think girls generally do this, but then. Mm-hmm. But then there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of nuance to that. And I just, I love that you're focusing on everyone seeing everyone doing this together and having a shared experience. I could talk about this part of the conversation for another hour, but we must move on. Um, (laughs) When you talk about empowering children with tech to help them be future ready, what does that mean? Well, I like to put it this way, you know, learning how to code is a necessity for everyone, but it does not mean that we're trying to create a world of little computer scientists. That's ridiculous. However, we all need this base proficiency in problem solving using technology. And it just so happens that coding is the language for that. So I would not recommend to any parents have your, your children go and learn Python because Python's the most important coding language. It's not actually about that. It's not about the specific language. We transition our students between a lot of different coding languages like Scratch, Python, JavaScript. I can go on and on. Yeah. But it's about understanding what the computer can do, what technology can do, and also not being scared of code, of seeing code, of AI. AI is not going to take over the world in the way that we think that it is. You know, my favorite thing is always yeah. seeing on TV, you know, you know, a a robot typing on the computer like with well, haptic fingers yeah. and you're like, yeah. Okay. That literally yeah, makes no logical sense because they can just communicate, right? <laughs> like right. So, oh, that's me. That's funny. Right. <laughs> you don't actually right. need the fingers, right? So it's Cuz like, you're a computer. You right. yourself are a computer. Yeah. Right. That's amazing. So um, I think uh, a lot of the the uh, the important things about becoming future ready is not being afraid of technology. I mean, as a parent in the industry of coding and technology, I'm constantly bombarded with, oh my God, what, oh my goodness, what's the next thing? What is this NFT thing? What is cryptocurrency? Right. What are, you know, what's that type of AI? I mean, I'm supposedly a an expert with the air quotes, but yeah, my yeah. children will still, you know, still outperform me. I have a 13-year-old son, an 11-year-old daughter, and a three-and-a-half-year-old daughter that still outperforms me in technology. So I think yeah. half the battle, you know, being a parent is understanding that our children will know more than we will, but also yeah. trying to help them understand technology and not be afraid of it and embrace it. Yeah. And that's a, a very big challenge. But for me, I have this picture of future ready children that are just not scared of technology because that's something that I find in our generation so yeah. 
prevalent. And I'm raising my hand here. You know, confident, yeah, <laughs> to, to yeah. go on and Google and fix, you know, whatever their problem is, you know, fix the Wi-Fi network or yeah. whatever it might be, or understand why the lights change at certain times when, you know, the, the street lights change at certain times or how the, you know, the bus knows that it's, that the bus sign knows that the, the bus is three minutes away. How, how do you know that? You know, so just right. having these kind of broader understanding of technology means that we um, will create this generation that then is able to also problem solve and save the world and solve these complex challenges that are going to be yeah. presenting us that are already presenting themselves to us as as a civilization That's, I guess <laughs> you know as you as you talk about you know getting the the younger kids like your three-year-old <laughs> is more proficient than you are in technology which I doubt but okay um, <laughs> you know it strikes me that um, that they're, you know, for the first time, I think in the, certainly American history, we have five generations in the workplace. Mm -hmm. So, um, so what would you say, you know, because my work is, um, you know, I'm at a global design and build firm and we're mm -hmm. working with our clients and everyone has kind of different demographics of their teams. And certainly we have an, you know, our own unique demographic, um, in terms of like diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, one of the emerging conversations, and I think mo one of the most important conversations, is age mm -hmm. in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And people are, um, due to kind of financial situations and the socio socioeconomics of, you know, where we are today, people are having to work until mm -hmm. later ages. And with that comes, you know, they're in a workplace collaborating and they're they're having a, 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 you know, their colleagues with younger people who are just out of college who can zip through, you know, something on the computer or use technology to solve problems. And there's kind of this natural reticence to it for, you know, people, again, I'm 51. Um, you know, there are a couple of people in our company who are a bit older than I am. What, what would you say to, in the ways that you prepare young people and the kids with your curriculum, is there anything transferable for the, um, as I call myself, the more vintage folks among us. <laughs> vintage, I love that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna steal that term. I think that's great. Um, you may, you may not steal it yet because you're not yet vintage, but you may steal it at some <laughs> I'm point. I'm close to vintage. Um, I think that's a, I think that's a great question, and I similarly have, you know, colleagues and things in varying ages, and I think, you know it feels natural to sort of fear those young graduates that can seemingly do so much so quickly yeah. are so efficient. But I think the important thing is to remember how much experience the kind of vintage generation has. And it starts to, it sort of gets a bit washed out because of technology and because of how quickly things move. So because it might take a vintage person <laughs> more time to understand what discord is or slack or teams and how to actually yeah. communicate on there properly so the learning curve might be much higher but once yeah. they're there they're still communicating in the same way but they bring this knowledge to whatever industry they're in that cannot be replaced with technology and right. so i think right. kind of holding on to that and appreciating that is really important and i think the the you know generation x y z a b and whatever generation we're on right. also look up and appreciate that next generation up and in i'm sort of you know on that kind of pinnacle of moving into the vintage if you think that i'm not there i feel there but <laughs> same <laughs> where, same girl same <laughs> where i i see that actually you know when i you know when you're in your 20s you think got it all figured out. I know everything. I am, I, I, I've got yeah. it sorted. And then you're, you know, you're into your thirties and then you pass 35 and you're like, actually, I am much wiser now than I was in my twenties. Right. And sure. so yep. I can now appreciate the, the keen and eagerness of seeing 20 year olds. And I know that I actually have you know, a wealth of knowledge to bring to them or to, to yeah. help them with, you know, yeah. how to hire your first employee, you know, what, yeah. what is, you know, investment or these kinds of things. So I think that the challenge is, is, and it's a very similar thing to parenting in this generation because we never saw our parents 
parent with iPads, right? Right. Because so who who do we have to look look to? No one. Each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah but right. taking a step back and understanding that technology masks a lot of things, and so it may, people might look mm-hmm. like they're busy, but they're they're little swans on the water with their feet really paddling really quickly. Right. But the vintage, you know, aged people are more like swans that are actually flying they're just flapping their wings maybe a little more slowly but they've got it figured out so yeah yeah I think it's a similar thing that I say to parents is that you're not going to know it all and you're not going to be as fast and your kids will know more than you or the you know the younger generation that you're you're working with but you have life experience and knowledge that they do not have and that value is invaluable (laughs) Yeah. And it really underscores kind of, you know, again, one of the things that we talk about in in diversity, uh, DEIB work is, you know, true diversity of thinking. And when you can get, you know, a lot of different people around the kind of metaphorical, you know, the table um, who are bringing, you know, maybe institutional knowledge about the business or about the industry, um, you know, have great refined interpersonal skills that maybe young, young folks don't haven't yet developed. Um, you know, when the when when all parties at the table can can value and understand that everybody's at the table for a reason. And uh, and, you know, I sounds a little cheesy, but we are we are better together when diversity of thinking is um, kind of lean into um, quickly before we move on. I want to ask what ghost space is. I know you and your husband founded this, but what is it? It sounds like my space. And again, I'm dating myself. Um, <laughs> what is ghost space? So Ghostface um, is a, an artificial intelligent engine. Uh, we call her ADRA, which stands for AI for Dynamic Resource Allocation. So allocating anything that changes. But essentially, it is a way to get your team space in the office automatically. Oh, okay. So you're, this company is busy right now. Yes. So okay. imagine all those okay. virtual networks you have, yeah. your Slack yeah. channels or your, um, your, you know, your Teams channels. And the last thing people want to do, I mean, there's been lots of research, you know, is go into the office and then sit on a Zoom call. So when yeah. you get into the office, you want to be with your team, but you also, yeah. you know, the whole booking system thing and reservation, this does all of that automatically. Okay. So I've been wondering about, you know, um, the functionality of, I guess it would be, is, is it a platform? Is it called a, a platform? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, what's the efficacy in getting people to actually use it? Because I have gone into several offices where there's a QR code at the front door and I know they want me to use it, but I don't really, there's no real explanation and I don't quite know, do I have to download something? Um, how, how what's the usage looking like and what's mm-hmm. the plan to get people to do that as like kind of second nature so i think that that's a great question and that's a really important question for things like reservation and booking systems but with yeah. adra and with ghostspace it doesn't matter if people use it or not we're still learning all the time of who's coming into the office where they're sitting because they're usually i mean the, the companies are already tracking this anyway And so even if you haven't checked in or you haven't told us you're coming in, when you do go in, we record that, we use that history. And so we know when you're going to be coming in again. So raising my hand here to ask, (laughs) I'm going to ask a dumb question. No, no, no questions are dumb. If they're not telling you they're coming in, how do you know they're in? Humans are very predictable. I love this about being human. Even when I find my own little predictable traits, I'm like, Wow, that's new. I've been doing the same thing for the last 30 days. Interesting. Um, Humans are very predictable. So you might think, oh, I'm going to be really sporadic and random. I'm going to go in on a Tuesday and Thursday. Next week, it might be a Wednesday. And then the following, it might be Friday. And then the morning of the afternoon. But people start to generally fall into patterns. And so when we're booking spaces for teams, we also know how, how quickly and how much teams flex. So if you were if you only look at the data, which is what a lot of, you know, the competition would do, they have these data dashboards, but then you're a human and you're looking at it and you're like, great, I know everything. The marketing team only 
ever at maximum had 75% of the team in on one day ever in the whole right. last year. Yep. So now what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, now you, you've got to like do this Tetris puzzle yourself. And by the time you've worked it out, you know, the team has lost five people and another team has added on seven people. It moves very quickly. So this is a really complex AI that we've been building for the last almost 10 years that, and you wrote, and you wrote it, you, those are your, you did it, the blonde girl. The blonde girl from Iowa. <laughs> yeah. And, but coming, you know, back to the whole, the whole gender thing and, and thinking laterally, Bruce, uh, my husband, the, the CEO, he always says that the algorithms wouldn't have been found if it weren't for the female brain, because it was the putting together of two different types of algorithms into this new way of solving problems yeah. that created Adra and which is why it's also patentable because it's a new way of thinking about algorithms. So it's not just simple machine learning, not that machine learning yeah. is simple, but it's not just yeah. one algorithm. It's a how we put these different algorithms together to solve mm-hmm. this very complex, ever-changing you know, set of problems. I mean, you know, yeah. there's hiring, yeah. there's firing, but then there's yeah. also your personal schedule, then there's your team, but I want to yeah. work with the marketing team, but I also need to work with you know, the, the strategy team in a different day. Yeah. Lots of different competing adjacencies. You know, we can do this as humans, but as soon as you kind of break outside multivariable situations, it's um, it's a complex organism that you know. Yeah, and and absent the advantage of you know learning uh, processing this through AI. To your point, you know, by the time you think as a human, you've got it figured out, your marketing team has lost five people or they've relocated or reset mm-hmm. their objectives and their missions. The business has changed. You know, for uh, our company, Unispace, you know, we do strategy, design mm-hmm. and delivery. Um, so we are I'm you know, I, I'm lucky to get to be on a lot of calls with our clients and I hear them in real time. You know, they're looking they want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. They want to be, you know, they want to be ahead because if you're if you're doing if you're not ahead, you're behind, you're <laughs> super behind. And they they really want to understand and anticipate the the appetite mm-hmm. of their the appetite of their team members and the demands of the business. But because people are moving around so much, right? Because of COVID, like that we're in, we're out, we're on yep, lockdown, the it's spiked, it's not <laughs> that. And, and to your point earlier about people, you know, can leave, people can, you know, talent is in the driver's seat and they know it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I, it just seems like, um, you know, go space is something that I want to know more about. And, and I think it would be exciting for our clients to know more about it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, I think um, the thing about go space and, and you sort of, touched right on the point is that now sorry i think there's a helicopter going over a helicopter this is real life human work this is a, <laughs> this is what we want in the podcast michael don't you dare cut that out of the podcast she's got a helicopter above uh but there's um you know before covid um go space was all about efficiencies in the office space because as we know, corporate real estate is a huge CO2 emitter. So even if we're building green buildings, which, you know, yeah. from my architecture background is very important, the building itself is a huge, huge, huge. problem to the climate. Yeah. So if we're going to be affecting climate change, it's not necessarily building less buildings. It's making sure that we utilize the buildings that we do have to their full capacity, which is the reason why we built them, which is the reason why we've put so much thought and strategy and design into creating these amazing spaces that people want to be in. But with the, you know, changing of how we work and you, you know, you flash forward to now COVID and people only wanting to come in two or three days, we had a problem before where buildings were sitting half empty most yep. of the time. Yep. Now that problem is <laughs> ballooned. It's on, it's on steroids. So we have a way to make sure that all of those amazing spaces and all of those amazing buildings can be utilized in an efficient way. And yep. with people getting together with their team so that they know when they come in, you know, Sally's not sitting on floor seven and I really need to talk to her. So I'm going to book a meeting room. But then there's only three meeting rooms, but actually yeah. there's these amazing spaces. Um, yep. So it, it deals with all of that complexity and 
automatically assigns, assigns the, the space. I mean, I'm sure this keeps you up at night in, in, in good ways too, right? <laughs> like you, the, one of the good, great things about this is no one's, it's unmasterable because of we have, you know, like you said before, you know, anything can happen. Life is predictable. And what an exciting time to be doing this work um, because there are real problems that our, our clients and, and yours as well, they really need solutions. And there really isn't, no matter how hard they try with themselves and um, internal meetings, they really, mm-hmm. they need the technology piece. They need someone who can help them solve this in real time. Otherwise, they um, by the time they figure it out, it's old it's news. It's all moved right? on. Yeah. Well, and I yeah. think that's that's why it's so exciting for us because we were solving this problem you know, in Europe where space is more constrained than we we are in the U.S. Um, and so they were already starting to get some of this pressure on corporate real estate. We've been working on this problem. I was writing the algorithms when my second child was in my belly. So we always Amazing. like to say Ocean, who's now 11, uh, and Adra, Adra's like her digital twin. So she has this like AI twin that's been evolving for the last 10 years right alongside Ocean. Um, But most of the people- you have four children then. Four children, yes. One of them just happens to be an AI. Um, But most people in this space, COVID hit, and now they're trying to solve the problem. We have years of developing and honing these algorithms. So we are so fortunate to already have the solution. And so we have very big- you know, household name technology companies that have come to us through our contact me chat form on the GoSpace website. And that's how we've gotten our first clients. I mean, it's it's shocking because it is such a huge problem and people are desperate for a solution. And They're I can put my hand up. We we actually have the solution. I mean, like I get goosebumps because people- I just I did mean, too. Like this, that's just, <laughs> this, this is-, is a, this it, is the the nut to crack, and you you've already you've been working on this. I honestly could talk about Ghost Space and what you all are doing um, for a long time. Let's let's connect again and have another phone call. I want some people in my company to hear more about this. But I do want to mention, um, and this is uh, unprompted. I want to say it: uh, Uh AI solving efficiencies for post um, occupancy. One of the kind of bits that we've been working on is What's Your Weird? It's a segment called What's Your Weird? And basically what I want to know from you, Elizabeth, is what's that ungoogleable fact about you? What's a factoid that I can't find by digging deep into Google? What's something about you that would surprise me? It's hmm. a great question. Um, what is my deepest, darkest secret? No, no, not not asking. No, no. I mean, <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's a safe um, space here. Yes, if you, you do want to share, you couldn't Google the fact that uh, I'm dyslexic and have not been properly diagnosed, but I have ADHD as well, uh, and so oh. I don't think that that would be something you could Google. But it's sort of in my immediate family and my children yeah. and and Bruce as well, and so. Yeah. I think that's probably the ungoogleable thing, but I also think it's my ungoogleable superpower behind the scenes. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. And I love the book, Dyslexia is My Superpower. I'm sure you've read it. Um, and a um, couple of things. My tw- my twin boys have ADHD and dyslexia. Um, second thing, I am shocked that you're a person who works with language, you know, computer language, and you're also a teacher. I don't know why I'm shocked because I know that people with dyslexia and ADHD exist everywhere. Has your dyslexia, how do you, how do you use that and, and make it your superpower? How do you not get tripped up? Because I know what, you know, dyslexia can do a lot of different things. Um, It's not all all the same for each person, but has it ever tripped you up? And how do you kind of manage yourself through that? Yeah. And I think that is one of those sort of um, misconceptions about coding is that it's like learning a different language. Yeah. I don't really think that at all. Interesting. I I, I mean, I took Spanish for so many years, at least a decade. And I could probably speak to Dora. And her mochila, but I mean, yeah. 
That's it. It's yeah. really quite pathetic. Yeah. So yeah. it's mm-hmm. not in necessarily the language center of your brain, but more in the, the logical and reasoning center of your brain. Um, that so if my probably, son... Go ahead. Sorry, but it's probably more naturally aligned with a math brain person. Yeah. However, the same way that, um, you know, people that love to write, uh, creative writers and things, structure their story in a specific way, that's also yeah. another um, huge quality that you can bring into coding because you're thinking about your story as a whole. You need the introduction, the hook, yeah. and all of these, you know, very pers- prescriptive sort of things to create yeah. your story is a similar kind of application of how coding um, and computer science can work as well. Well, it's fascinating. You know, I'm thinking about, I told you before, when I was a kid, we had this Texas Instruments computer at home mm-hmm. and I was messing around with typing different symbols in and letter. And it just, it, I marveled at what popped up on the screen. Yeah. And um, I know that every like little backslash, everything I entered did something different on the screen. And I'm thinking about my son, George, who um, his dyslexia presents itself in that he will write his words backward or he will leave out, he will say a number, but it's not on the, he hasn't written it down. And I'm wondering in terms of coding, um, you know, if you're writing a sentence, you know, the dog, you know, the dog goes outside to play. It's very understandable if he writes the word dog backward and leaves out a letter of the dog goes out to play. I can still discern that. His teachers can still discern it. He can read the sentence. But in coding, if one single thing is off or missing or reversed, that's my... Yes, that's your fear. However, you just got so excited. Yes, so excited. However, the the most amazing thing about coding is the dog went outside or whatever the sentence was you just said. Yeah. In coding, your son could write outside went the dog that, you know, your son could start to speak like Yoda and it would still make sense, right? Because you can put words in all different order. It doesn't matter. You're talking about the syntax, uh, the syntax or, you know, missing a curly bracket or, you know, a semicolon at the end of a sentence. Yes, of course, those are things that are built into the languages. But coming back to something I mentioned at the very beginning, it's not about the very specific language of Python and knowing exactly at the end of every sentence, I need a semicolon. Technology has moved on now that it can correct that, right? But the way that your son's brain works in piecing things together in different ways. And, you know, I used to have a secret language with my best friend, Tiffany, where we would write notes to each other backwards and upside down. And then we had a mirror under our desk so we could look it in the mirror and it would flip it around. But I could actually write backwards and upside down, which I think your son probably could as well. Right. Yeah. Because it it doesn't matter. It's a superpower. Yeah. You know, yeah. Thinking about it. But that's why I loved computer science, because you could just see you had this problem and you could see a way to the solution even if it wasn't the way that was prescribed to get there. So my son, for example, has a very similar type of presentation of, of dyslexia where they'll give him a complex math problem and he'll give the answer 649. And they're like, mm, sorry, Jane, you only get 10 points. He's like, but I got the answer right. Well, you didn't show your work. And he's like, yes, but I, I worked it out in my head and I yeah. got it faster than the teacher could even get it, right? Because right. they're right. solving it in their heads in a way that like we can't even comprehend because it's not a linear sequence. It's right. like this beautiful mind, like the, like the movie of totally is. these things that we're bringing together. And so the fact that, you know, people can understand what he's trying, the words that he's trying to get out on the page is done. Like that's half the battle, that's right? The, but that's coding, exactly. I think yeah. for him will be this, exciting thing where he can express himself in a better way than any of his contemporaries, than any of his peers, because he can see the answers and find his way to the solutions much more quickly than, you know, this is exactly George. This is exactly (laughs) how his brain works. He, um, he, and we have a control group in our house. We have two of them. 
Yeah. And and they're both dyslexic, but they're, they, their dyslexia manifests itself differently. differently. And George does, like, especially with math, he knows the answer very quickly. And he can't always tell us how he got it, but he gets it. And he's yeah. really accurate. And I, oh, it's so okay. exciting. You have a little <laughs> computer know. scientist on your hands. I love so. it. Well, and he has glasses too, so he, he fits the stereotype. All right. <laughs> let, let, let's, let's move on. I, I do want to ask you... Um, you know, you don't appear to be the type of person who brags about herself. Most accomplished women move through the world um, not feeling comfortable comfortable bragging about themselves. So let me ask this in a way that I think you'll be able to answer. Um, what was your what your, what was your proudest career moment, and what's your most proud personal moment? Ooh, tough questions. Um. This is hard-hitting journalism here, Elizabeth. Yes, this Tough is difficult. I, I think, you know, my most proud career moment probably couldn't come down to just one thing, but more like a specific feeling that happens every so often. The feeling when my children participate in my career because for me, one of the most important things about my life is that I've built my career with my children. And I think a lot of women, you know, in this day and age, try to build their career first and then have their kids, which, you know, yeah. is, is great. Yeah. But Jaden came along very unexpectedly. And so life goes on. But yeah. I've built everything that I have with them participating in conferences with me or you know when I had my three and a half year old Rose she came to office meetings with me to pitches with me um you know is a sort of silent sidekick <laughs> at all times so I think my but not so is, silent but not <laughs> so silent not sometimes. so silent she's well trained <laughs> but, but I think my my proudest career moment is all of the moments with my children intersecting my career yeah. um and That's incredible. my s second question, my, my proudest life moment, is that what it was? Yeah. Personal. Yeah, yeah. Personal is probably comes back to the, the last time that I spent um, Christmas with my grandmother because she mm. was my best friend and yeah. her saying to me when I came back, Oh, look at you. You're just this little girl from Iowa and you did everything and more that we mm. all knew you could do. And you're mm. living in London and mm. just making her proud is probably my most proud moment. And when she passed away, we all came back to Iowa and I was on the front page of the London Times uh, and mm. the Scottish Times, um, this sort of picture with my kids for, for coding and and my brother Sean said to me, Lizzie, how proud would Nana be to have you on the front page of the paper in oh. London, in, you know, the UK. And so, you know, for me, knowing that she's still there looking down on me and is my biggest supporter is my greatest personal motivator and moment, I think. That's incredible. That, I mean, I'm emotional um, hearing that. I, I understand that that love of between a grandparent and a grandkid. I was really close to my grandparents too. And it sure does. It's just unconditional. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, I've always found old people to be just the most, they're just the <laughs> most fascinating because they have so much to share with us, but that they said you did everything and more that we ever thought you could do. What a, yeah. what a big deal. What was yeah. her name? Her name is Rose. Uh, oh. Just like my, my daughter Rose. Um, yeah. But the best part about it is also after she passed away, every single one of her grandchildren are 100% sure that we are all her favorite. So yeah. that's how special of a woman she is. She did it right. She, she did it right. Yes. She did it right. So. My grand my grandmother's name was Rose as well. Oh, that's so oh. amazing. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, thank you for sharing that with me. All right, Elizabeth, it's time for the fire round. The fire round is I'm coming in hot with five questions. Don't spend a lot of time thinking on the answers. Are you ready? Yes. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Who do you text with the most? My mom. What's your favorite show to binge watch? Ooh. 
I don't watch TV. Good answer. Do you collect anything? Yes, I collect everything. I'm a closet hoarder. Okay, that's okay. That, I love you. Safe space here. Um, if you could take a walk and talk with anyone alive or deceased, who would it be? I, I know the answer. My grandmother, Rose. <laughs> Perfect. And finally, this is uh, a question we're having a lot of fun with at Groundbreakers. Um, if I could, I would. So if, if there was something you could do, what would it be? For instance, mine, if I could, I would, is I would dance and I would draw. What's your if I could, I would? If I could, I would become president. I know you're coming back to the United States. You never know what might happen. I'd vote for you. You never know. (laughs) You've got my vote. Um, Elizabeth, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we're out of time. No, I can't believe it. Thank you Um, so much for having me. This has been so fun. (laughs) You've been amazing. I can't thank you enough for making time to speak with me today and more broadly for all of the really important work you are doing in the world Um, You know, not just for young people, but you are creating an environment and creating language around holding space for people with different ideas and new ways of thinking. And if we need anything right now as a global population, it's making sure that every voice at the table is heard and you are doing that work. Thank you so much. Elizabeth Tweedale, founder and CEO of Cypher Coders and writer of a thousand books. Thank you so much for being part of Groundbreakers. Thank you so much for having me, Shelley. It was wonderful. Thanks for tuning into Groundbreakers, y'all. It's been a pleasure. A special thanks to the behind-the-scenes folks that share my passion and vision for our Groundbreakers series. Writer and producer, Caroline Jones. Engineer, Michael Pelequin. And the Airs Next and Unispace teams. Despite the many ways our careers and lives may differ, we are all affected by how our environments impact diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. We all have so much to learn from one another, and I appreciate you taking this ride with me. Don't forget to subscribe to Groundbreakers. Tune in and share with your colleagues, your friends, and your families. Talk soon.